This is David Zev in Israel, coming to you on the JewishCoffeeHouse.com podcast network. Gazans have been using burning kites to torch Israeli fields and forests as part of their Great March of Return events in recent weeks, a different kind of terror that started even before this latest period, but has become massive lately. Adele Raymer, who lives in Kibbutz Nirim, next to the Gazan border, wrote this past weekend on social media, The Western Negev is burning. She launched a MAP initiative asking her followers to contribute dates or photos of the locations of where fires from these kites have broken out. We asked Adele Raymer about the phenomenon of burning kites and the damage that they cause. The fields are dry. We're talking mostly about wheat fields, but, but also about forests nearby. But everything is dry by now. The wheat is ready to be harvested. So it's all dry. So you just need a little spark, really, to start it off. So these, these are these are kites that explosives are put on them? What's on these kites? They have like a, a flaming Molotov cocktail. Uh-huh. And one of them landed within my kibbutz and somebody went over like not in the living section but in the the farming section but within the perimeter gate and somebody just happened to be passing by and he put it out right away but then when he when he told people about it the rapshats the person in charge of security said he was lucky that he got away with his life he shouldn't have gone near it because some of them are booby trapped Right. We've been hearing this in the news. Those are the instructions that the security establishment has been issuing. Stay away. How dangerous is it? I mean, you have you mentioned in your kibbutz and in the neighboring localities. Just how much does it make an impact on your lives over there? Financially, I don't know what the repercussions are going to be, although I've heard that there's a movement to try and get farmers to cut their wheat before it's actually ready so that the government will compensate them for not waiting and getting its full price, but at least getting it out of the fields and not having to have the danger that it's going to go up in fire. So that's the real, you know, financial danger. And in your day-to-day life, you and you and I have spoken over the course of many years. You've been impacted in so many different ways from mortar fire, the rockets that have come over, the wars that have been waged between Israel and Hamas in the Gaza Strip. And now this is an added element. What kind of psychological effect has it had? But we haven't had any really within our community from doing this map thing. Right. So I tell us the map. You they, under the map initiative that you I saw over the over the weekend on the social media that you initiated. Tell me about it. Friday evening I was listening to the news and I knew that there were fires and there was not one word said about about any fires, any place. And I said, well, what is it like? Sort of, it's become such a normal thing that people don't even want to hear about it anymore. People don't pay attention about it anymore. So I decided to take an initiative because I'm good with Google tools and I know how to use Google Maps. I made a map and started collecting pictures and dates of different fires where they were. And, and I started sharing this with friends. And this morning I shared it on the Regional Council Facebook. We're talking to you on Sunday, like, so on Sunday morning. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and it's like, I haven't checked it like in the past hour, but it had way past 2,500 views. 
And people like last night, I got to sleep really late because people just kept sharing pictures. So what I do is I put a, a little icon and the date that um, one of these kites have landed and started a fire. And if people have pictures, I add them to that. And people who know how to use Google Maps have written in to me and I've given them editing permission because it's a collaborative map. And just, just so that, to give people an idea of what's going on here about about how, how widespread it so, really is. So how widespread? Again, you're fortunate enough that only there was only, I guess, one case in your kibbutz. How widespread is it? It's very widespread. Okay, so first of all, somebody this morning mm-hmm. uh, who's connected to Ynet told me that yesterday alone in the entire Gaza envelope, there were 18 fires 18 in one day so the weekends i would imagine are going to be even more problematic because each friday we've been having these marches the great march of return that most serious incident a couple of weeks ago but it's been happening to a smaller extent each friday and then therefore it carries over and the weekends are the far more serious period of time i haven't really seen i haven't really seen a pattern Mm -hmm. it's like more we're sort of more waiting for it on fridays right but mm-hmm. it happens during the week as well. And like all sorts of hours. I was trying to think maybe it happens like mostly in the afternoon because of the wind direction. And as I was working on the map this morning, I got a clip of one that fell like this morning. So it depends on the wind. It depends on how close they can get to the bore. I don't know. So one more perspective to put on this, and that is that we in Israel, of course, are aware of the fact, and you mentioned the dry weather that we have, the hot and dry weather, how in other parts of Israel we've seen fires that have been started as an act of terror, if you will, people taking advantage of these conditions. The smallest little match in some isolated area can break out into a forest fire, and this is yet a different manifestation of this using these kites. Now, recently, though, on a far more positive side, on the Shavuot holiday, there was a peace kite project in your area. Tell me about that project for the holiday. So Shavuot in Kibbutzim uh, is celebrated with with dancing, like different groups of people perform different dances. And the kids in my kibbutz wanted to perform a dance to a song, uh, I was born for peace. And as they were getting that together, the mother who was working with them on it had the idea of having them dance with kites. So they danced with six kites and two kites, like they had the words peace, salam, shalom on them, and they incorporated it into their dance. Sounds beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, go ahead. And I've heard of a number of other kibbutzim that did the same also. It's not that there was any connection, but it's just sort of a, a, a natural thing that everybody happened to think of like the same thing. Basically a spontaneous thing. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. From the Gazan border, we've been speaking to Adele Raymer, who lives on Kibbutz Nirim. As Israel has been dealing with security situations involving the Iranian nuclear deal, Iran's presence in Syria, and Hamas in Gaza, as well as the diplomatic achievement of a U.S. embassy in Jerusalem, Public opinion polls in Israel have been showing greater support for Prime Minister Netanyahu. Likud Central Committee member Mordechai Taub agrees and explains why. In every election, most party lists run against different party lists for different parts. For example, 
the Likud has a base of people who are solid Likud. And then they have a small part that consider Likud or Bayit Yehudi. So they have Likud and Yeshatid, or Likud and Shas. And what's happening is some of those people who were considering either Likud or some other party are moving more solidly towards Likud. Let me translate that, if I may, not that you didn't describe it well enough, but into the fact that many people, though they might prefer a more right-wing party like Bayit Yehudi or a Haredi Sephardi party like Shas, which are now members, of course, of the government coalition with Prime Minister Netanyahu. But first of all, when they see security situations along the northern border, southern border, wherever, and diplomatic achievements like with the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem, they say to themselves, you know what? Most importantly, I want a strong leader, and this is Prime Minister Netanyahu who has delivered on these issues. I would say not only right-wing parties, even Yesh uh, Right, you did uh, mention them. So what are they? More like center, right center? What I wouldn't even say center. I think the Yesh Atid uh, message might resonate with certain people. They might be nationalistic on land of Israel issues, but they don't like uh, the religious flavor of the state. They would perhaps like a more secular flavor. Mm-hmm. I'm giving a very general term here. And therefore, they have a particular appeal. And right. they're considering for those reasons Yeshatid, or for those reasons Likud, and they say, you know what? Likud's doing a very good job. Let's stick with Likud. Now, Yeshatid and its leader, Yair Lapid, have been stressing the fact that they think that Prime Minister Netanyahu should be resigning, perhaps even because of the investigations against him and even the police recommendations, which don't mean anything, of course, but still police recommendations that, in fact, the prime minister should be indicted. But I think, again, to take this one step further, people are saying, all right, let the police, let the state attorney's office do their work. But in the meantime, until this man, Mr. Netanyahu, is indicted, maybe even once he's indicted and then only convicted, he is a strong leader and we need him anyway. Right. I mean, that's clearly um, what's going on. People, you know, have known that there's been investigations of many politicians that have not led to an indictment. I clearly am not um, privy to the information of what's going on in the investigation unit of the police, Um, so I can't give you an odds on the chance that they will or will not be. I hope there will not be indictments. Uh, But clearly that's the attitude, that until something happens in that area, if something happens, there's no reason for him to step down. And most uh, Israelis think he's doing a very good job. Likud Central Committee member Mordechai Taub. One of our objectives on this David Zev in Israel podcast is to reach out to Jewish communities around the world. Erica Lyons is founder of the Asian Jewish Life magazine. She is the Hong Kong delegate to the World Jewish Congress and chairperson of the Hong Kong Jewish Historical Society. We asked her about the Hong Kong Jewish community. So it's an old community. We go back to about the 1850s. Today, we are about 6,000 people from, and it's really uh, diverse in terms of uh, nationalities, uh, language, affiliation. Yeah, you yourself uh, don't sound like you're a native, if you will, of Hong Kong, correct? (laughs) I am not. We have very, very few natives of Hong Kong within the Jewish community, of course. Right. 
so originally I'm obviously from the U.S., uh, which you can probably tell from my accents, but right. I've been here about 15 years. So What drew you to Hong Kong? Pretty much like everybody else. I think I have my story is no different from anybody else's. Everybody came here for business reasons, mm-hmm. usually for a one to two year commitment, and we've just stayed. And I guess about half of the people I know here have uh, very, very similar stories where they stayed long term, and then other people are transitory and come for just a couple of years. But you haven't just stayed. You've been very active. You founded this Asian Jewish Life magazine involved with the World Jewish Congress, etc. And if I recall correctly, on the Khan Radio English station, we had you last summer when you, your husband, were involved with a Maccabiyat team, the Jewish Olympics, if you will, coming to Israel, a team from Hong Kong. That's right. We uh, we co-headed uh, the Hong Kong delegation. I think we brought 35 athletes in total from Hong Kong with with the view that we wanted, you know, sort of the broadest participation. So maybe our sort of uh, standards were a bit different from uh, other countries around the world. But if somebody wanted to participate and represent Hong Kong, we were happy to have them. How many sports were represented in your delegation? In total, eight sports, maybe, I want to say offhand, but Mm -hmm. I have to go back and count. (laughs) More or less. Okay, very good. Yeah, about eight. Tell us about the magazine. What is your objective of the Asian Jewish Life magazine? What do you try to portray in that? I founded it in uh, 2009, and actually it was a response to the uh, bombing in uh, Mumbai. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea that, you know, we're living in Hong Kong is a you know, relatively tiny Jewish community. Uh, you know, I grew up in sort of the New York, New Jersey area and Hong Kong, 6,000 Jews is relatively small. And the idea that when sort of that tragedy in Mumbai happened, I realized very quickly that effectively those were my Jewish neighbors. And, you know, everybody in this room, kind of the entire Hong Kong Jewish community came together that night. That was the Chabad Center over there, correct? And the correct. Chabad rabbi yeah, so and we his were, wife were killed, right? Right. And we were watching those those events unfold and people came together sort of in Hong Kong and we were watching sort of live coverage and everybody in the room really had one degree of separation from the people in that Chabad house in Mumbai. Uh, you know, people had been there last Shabbos or their spouse was there or, you know, and really I realized those are our neighbors. So it was a way of trying to connect the communities throughout the region with one another. But also, um, I'm also trying to get people to uh, sort of change their views. And this is people outside of Asia, their understanding of who is a Jew and where Jews hail from and what Jews look like. So I guess that maybe doesn't speak so much to Israel. I think Israel, you have a different understanding, but I think certainly in North America, people don't necessarily understand that Jews can, you know, be from Asian countries, can look like they're Asian, can be from African countries and look like, you know, typically like they're from Africa. And I think that maybe in the U.S. people don't necessarily understand that. So do the Jews, not to generalize, but Jews in Hong Kong, do they associate with Jewish history, with the Jewish religion, with Israel perhaps? So one thing actually that I, I, there's a million reasons why I love living in Hong Kong, but one thing that I also love coming, and this is sort of in contrast to living in America as a Jew, it's just not complicated here, right? I mean, our synagogue, I was on the management council of uh, my synagogue, Ohalea Synagogue, it's um, the historic synagogue, I was in the council for years. And in our mission statement, we have that we were a Zionist congregation. And Hong Kong also has the only Jewish day school in the Far East. We started ages one and we go up to age 18. Mm. And same thing, in that mission statement, it's a pluralistic but orthodox ethos Zionist school. And I think that in the States, I think that's a lot more difficult to get people to agree on that. And here, that's not even an issue. That's sort of the starting point. You're saying there are fewer hangups in Hong Kong. 
I think so. I think I think that there are. And the connection to Israel is really strong throughout all the communities in Hong Kong. So one all the Jewish one final thing I just want to ask you, I follow you on Facebook and I see that mm-hmm. you're also involved or I mean, perhaps the community, Jewish community is right. involved over there in protests that are relating to Hong Kong itself, not specifically the Jewish community, but as Jews, you speak out, whether it be the issues of democracy in Hong Kong, or I saw recently about bullying and those sorts of things. Do you get together as a community to say we as Jews are also concerned about other things? Um, to some degree, I, I think that um, the kind of social activism, I think right. it's certain segments of our community and not the community as a whole. With Hong Kong politics, uh, some people have gotten involved, some people are a little bit wary but there certainly has been a connection. I think that people are supportive. But I think there's also the sense as expats that for many people that that's not necessarily really our fight. Um, so, you know, supportive of other people, but not necessarily directly involved in uh, certainly not in the leadership. But to but. sum things up, and you are involved as well with the World Jewish Congress as a Hong Kong delegate. You feel that right. you've made, you know, you've come a long way. You've done a lot to to advance the Jewish community over there. Again, maybe those other issues are not your fight, but yeah. in terms of Jewish I, issues, it's a different Jewish community of Hong Kong that we have now than when you came. I, I would say absolutely. So, I mean, with World Jewish Congress, I was doing, um, it was a Judaic Studies Conference in um, Moscow, and I kind of met people that were representatives to World Jewish Congress from that region. And people said to me, why don't you send anybody? And I, I didn't even know that it was really, to be honest, an option for our community. So I approached uh, sort of the leaders of the community and said, why don't we send somebody? This is why you know, we should be connecting with the broader Jewish world. Things are good here, but you know all of these issues that affect the rest of the world are our issues as Jews. They said, if you think that's something important, that's important, that's great, then go. And that's sort of how that evolved. Um, and I think it is it is great and it is important that we connect ourselves. And while things like, I mean, we're very fortunate here, you know, there's no anti-Semitism in Hong Kong and in the greater China area. There never has been, you know, things like BDS don't don't affect us here day to day in Hong Kong. Well, mm-hmm. but they are our issues, you know, so we can't pretend that they don't exist. Uh, they affect the Jewish people. They affect, you know, our loved ones. They affect I, it's, it's hard not to connect with those issues. And I think I've certainly played some role in helping our community realize that we have a role to play. That's great. Um, so advancing the Jewish community within Hong Kong itself, but showing that you are a member of the world Jewish community as well. Correct. Absolutely. On the line from Hong Kong, Erica Lyons. This has been David Ze'ev in Israel, coming to you with producer Scott Kahn on the JewishCoffeeHouse.com podcast network. <laughs>